John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 214.R0116, certificate number 31387, Chick Tracts. I've said for some time that I wanted to add Chick Tracts. The omnibus. Yeah, it's one of your favorite things, chick tracks. I learned that about you. They you, are. you read them all the time. <laughs> it's the only thing I've read. <laughs> it's the basis of your whole your whole life philosophy. I don't read books. Magazines and newspapers are all gone. I just I have nothing but chick tracks. Although now. chick tracks are books and magazines. They're uh they're an odd rectangular shape that is neither book nor magazine shaped. It seems like they're the same shape as an instruction booklet if you bought a remote control car. <laughs> That's the appeal of them. You're like, hey, I really want to build this crystal radio. Oh, no, Satan. Uh, our listeners have obliged me. They've sent me many, many chick tracks. A lot apparently just had some sitting in their car. Uh, one person went all out and just actually went to chick publications and bought oh. me their 120 pamphlet starter pack. Wow, that's very thoughtful. Now, for futurelings who are just a golden mist, a sentient mist, can you explain what a chick tract is? If they're, shouldn't we explain how to hold objects first if they're just golden mists? If, if they're a golden mist, I think they've probably, if they've been listening to the show up till now, they've put together at least in their mistitude. A, they, like under, a, they understand corporeal beings. A kind of sense, at least, that, that we had uh, seven senses. Chick tracts are... Or five senses. Religion. How many senses do we have? They say five, but really that ignores like, uh, you know, your sense of balance, your right. sense of where your, the parts of your body are. Like, you know, you can close your eyes and you'll know where your leg is. So let's uh, say between seven and 10 senses. The ability to feel pain. It's probably 20 or Telekinesis. more. Telekinesis. I don't know if that's... I mean, ESP is the sixth sense. Sure. I thought uh, the sixth sense was the ability to see dead people. It's the ability to see Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the ability to see dead careers. <laughs> you have to watch those straight-to-video action movies where Bruce Willis is in, like, one scene that he makes now. But uh, chick tracks are, uh, are actual physical objects that we can touch with our corporeal selves, and, but they are also spiritual documents that are trying to communicate with us through our 1920, 21, 20, the little 22 page. 
All of them are the stapled, same? I believe so. Oh, interesting. Stapled rectangular religious pamphlets in comic book form. Uh, and I, I did not want to order them from Chick Publications because they are actually listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. Oh, interesting. So one of our listeners have, has actually given $24 to a hate group so that I could have this stack of, of funny pamphlets in front of me. Presentlings are willing to make certain sacrifices to uh, to make this show more enjoyable. And... Well, well, I have a plan. I have a, a uh, religious offset plan where I, whereby I'm going to donate $24.01 to some charity of somebody who's been... Uh, Deprecated in the chick tracks. Well, why don't we? Why don't Jewish we call family it, services? Why or, don't we call it forty-eight dollars so that it not only obviates the donation to the chick tracks, but but doubles down on it. No, I just want to do net good by one cent in the world. <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm every gonna, time I eat a uh, every time I eat a chicken sandwich at Chick Fil A, I go immediately across the street and get a a double with cheese at Wendy's. To offset it. Yeah, that does it. Yeah. That's because Wendy's is such a good ally. <laughs> LGBT people are like, yeah, he's going to Wendy's. Yay, Wendy's. We win. Uh, so, but I could make that donation to uh, maybe a, a Catholic charity or some kind of atheist or secular, secular humanist. Well, don't go that charity. far. I could just buy. Those people don't need your support. <laughs> you can't. Do you know what the top review of our podcast is right now? What? It's somebody complaining that I, uh, a man of wealth and taste and success, is making fun of atheists on my program, and that is punching down. Wow. Let me be the one that makes fun of atheists <laughs> on the program. I'll stand in for that. Uh-oh. We're going to get a second bad review. <laughs> Listen, I did from not— From this very, very delicate atheist. I am not uh, representative of any particular creed, and yet I, I know that atheists are funny. I just love that I made one flying spaghetti monster joke on, on the show at some point, I assume. Right. And this poor little man— could not handle it. Well, because you are the you 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 are the uh, the visibly religious one of us, and also maybe one of the more out religious celebrities. And yet you go to Chick Fil A, and I will not. Yeah, but you're also like like I'm going an- to Popeyes. You're annoyingly woke, <laughs> like even for me, really kind of exasperatingly virtue signaling. Well, like a lot of religious people, you have to overcompensate. I see. I see. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's the same reason why a lot of Troubled people get into religion. They're they're overcompensating when they find Jesus. As a as a leftist secular humanist, right? I feel like a lot of wokeness is just my birthright. You, you were born to <laughs> you were born to the dark to the wokeness. Uh, where did you first see a chick track? They have these. They have a very distinctive look where the cover is mostly like two thirds black with a with a title in an eye catching title in white font, and then a little monochrome drawing to the left by the spine. What is that font? I know that you are a f- Fontaholic, uh, it, it's a it is a very distinctive font that you see. That's kind it's of something is, pretty. Basic. It's like the Nirvana logo. You it's know it Helvetica when you see it. of some kind, I think. Uh, do you remember where you saw your first chick track? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that people my age remember the 1970s as a time when fringe religion was was pretty omnipresent in just daily life. If you got off an airplane at any airport, you would you would not just encounter uh, Hare Krishna's banging tambourines dancing in the center of the airport. You had to push through them to get out. But also people handing out tracts. There were all kinds of, and we've talked about a few of them here on the podcast, the idea that there was an alternative to mainstream religion that, that would provide a sort of greater meaning 
but but it hadn't it hadn't sort of um like ossified into the weird quasi buddhist alternative religion sphere that we have now kind of the default spirituality that yeah. everyone has if you're looking for an alternative to mainstream religion now you find it in the form of what is essentially a billion dollar mainstream religion now which is this goulash of meditation and yoga and conspiracy theory and uh, uh it's um but it's supplanted all of these charismatic cults where you could really get into one specific thing we talked about this when bob dylan went christian on right the show. and also uh, the bhagwan sri rajneesh sure. was part of this but i chick tracks i think for me at least go back to the very early 80s they were things that in punk rock culture which i kind of flirted with all throughout junior high and high school chick tracks were these ironic um fetish items that we would you know you'd get them and you'd laugh because they're kind of punk uh and 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 they comported with a fanzine outlook on life but they're like super duper i mean they're hysterical in both ways they're hysterically funny and they also are Internally, a product of hysteria. Yeah, like they're they're in the voice of a hysteric. Over nine hundred million of these things have been distributed. We're very close to there being a billion chick tracts in the world. That's bizarre. If, if you count the nine hundred million of them that are probably in landfills, nine hundred million. There's not a billion of a lot of things. There's only seven billion people, uh, and that's been spurred on by quite a few factors. You mentioned one, which is they can be enjoyed ironically. Because although enjoyed is maybe strong. Oh, I I really like them. I think a lot of alternative uh, comics types and underground art outsider art fans really appreciate them as little works of art. Yeah, I think that was it's where not, we were coming not, from. It's not just what a gag that uh, that somebody makes these and now I have one. Uh, there's something good about them, and there's there's a very unusual aesthetic they have that's very lurid like they extremely lurid like they often begin with sinners and no no punches are pulled you think it's going to be churchy but no there's there's swears that are rendered in little uh punctuation marks and spirals and but there's drink and drugs and wanton sex yeah people stumbling into gay bars and satanism in the suburbs and uh uh you know young young virgins getting deflowered by sin let me ask you i don't think at least in my experience that you have ever felt tempted away from your faith by sin no but did you ever have your faith shaken by the prospect of a different faith did you ever go through a phase where you were like maybe judaism is for me no i was raised in a christian home and family and i've always found christianity very appealing it's a you know a a beautiful story of the man who, you know, appears and shows a better example and then dies because he cares that much. That's lovely. Mm. And, uh, and in my own life, it seems to have worked out in that it's made me a better person and it's made me cognizant of others in a way that I selfishly maybe would not normally be. I can, I can confirm. So you, you think I'm a very unlikely religious person? <laughs> no, just like always verging on total selfishness. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I have it. I don't think I'm a natural 
saint, whatever the benevolent quality that saints and uh, maybe many women have. I, I, I don't have that milk of human kindness very natural. I need to be reminded, hey, you admire people who are kind and gentle. You, you could be less of a dick. Right. You are not a culture maker. You are a, a lone wolf, a, a hunter, a, uh, a, a gobbler of things. Is that right? Yeah, that's my religion, gobblerism. So I've never thought, hey, um, maybe uh, Islam is the way to go for me. I guess maybe because I was never in jail. Uh, right, right. Ken X. But that doesn't mean I don't have like doubt. Like I wonder all the time about the mysteries of religion. I just, I, I'm, I'm pretty well set up. So I'm not in the market. I'm not shopping. My car still runs. So like I say, I was raised as a secular humanist. Uh, I, uh, my family believed in science, but both of my parents... Put up a science tree every December. But Both of my parents came from religious traditions. My father's father was a minister, hmm. um, a Methodist minister. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Wait, he was a Methodist, but then he converted to Presbyterianism in college and was a Presbyterian minister. And then my mom was raised a Methodist. And so my mom loved the hymns. My dad had all this sort of, you know, the Bible and Shakespeare in his upbringing. But they both invented their own religions. My mom was someone who believed in UFOs. And from a very young age in the 1940s and 50s, from reading science fiction magazines, concluded that UFOs had intervened in human development throughout the centuries and millennia. So that we, in fact, as humans, were a product of UFO genetic experiments. She's an UFOtarian. She's an UFOtarian. But then as time went on, she developed a, a real affection for instant karma as a concept and reincarnation. And so she, as, as she got more and more influenced by different traditions, she just added them together into like a multi-layer cake of faiths which became her faith, which made me very popular in elementary school when I would describe what our religion in the home was. Uh, and my dad practiced, because my dad grew up in Seattle in the 30s, the 20s and 30s, a lot of his friends were Japanese. And so he was very just sort of subtly influenced by Shinto and practiced his whole life. He never described it as this, but later on, I, I realized he just practiced ancestor worship. He talks to his dead sister and his mother and the people that came before him and lights little – not he didn't actually light candles at an altar for them, but he would sit and – if he prayed, it was to his ancestors. So when I was young, I felt very vulnerable despite my convictions. I felt vulnerable to the idea of being saved because it was such a – What's the appeal? It was such a prominent feature in the 70s, the idea that mm. you would you would just be a normal sinner, waltzing through life, sad and despondent, and then a, a lightning bolt or a, a you know some sunshine through a window would hit you and you would see the truth, the scales would fall from your eyes and you would suddenly feel your soul lifted and as a sad and despondent kid uh it wasn't that I was necessarily uh, – that I felt um, any particular pull, but I, I did walk around life 
half expecting a lightning bolt, feeling like it was a, a human experience that that maybe I would turn a corner. I was a seeker. It was extremely common in culture to hear people talking about this back then. You know, you'd see an interview with Johnny Cash or whatever, and he would matter-of-factly tell you about where, where and when he was when he got saved. That's right. And that's a little bit, it seems impolite or taboo now that not, not in, it's, it's a big gulf between Christian culture and secular American culture is that uh, one thinks there's nothing odd about describing the moment when your soul was saved. And it's, it's really the experience at the heart of the chick phenomenon because the idea is that Jack T. Chick, who was a shy man, felt that he was not a good witness for Christ. In, in you know, Mark 6.15, Jesus says, you've got, a, you've got a witness of me to the whole world, and Christians take that very literally. Particularly evangelical Christians, but, but yes. Mormons also. Like, there is a... There is a, um, there is a proselytizing... And you're compelled by the, by the word of the book to go spread it. You can't just sit uh, passively and be a good Christian. You have to be an active Christian. The question of how passive you can be is interesting because as a shy man, Chick did not feel like, and he had seen, he had seen statistics saying that 89% of Christians never witnessed of Christ. Don't go out and describe their experience with the idea that they're helping people. Right. And what he realized was if he could write his story down, you know, if there was some Christian testimony that you could leave, uh, in a bathroom stall or in a rental car on the dashboard or on a park both, bench. Both places where bad things happen. <laughs> or good things if you find a delightful uh, religious comic. Depends on how wide your stance is. <laughs> uh, so Chick Tracks actually come, many of them, with a list of places where you could leave them. And if you were just to buy, if you were just to do this three times a day, you could witness to a thousand people in a year and think how effective that would be. And now... As I think about that, I don't think of that as being effective. I don't think that I would be convinced by a comic book telling me that I'd been living my life wrong and needed to accept Jesus as my Savior. But it's it's the premise of a lot of evangelical Christianity that you have to make the offer. But also the the, the whole idea that a lightning bolt comes when you least expect it. Like, as you said, Johnny Cash, I mean, our, in 1976, we elected a president of the United States who talked about uh, his, you know, his sort of Baptist faith very publicly, not as a kind of uh, cloak to make himself uh, uh, appealing to mid the Midwest, but as, I mean, he's, uh, he was profoundly Christian, Jimmy Carter. And so it didn't seem uncool. Um, at, now, as you say, there's this secular and, and religious divide in the country. But the idea that a, that a comic book in a bathroom might be the light through the window didn't seem that crazy, I don't think. They almost don't seem troubled by whether or not it's effective, though. Because, you know, if you read these comics, they often, they all have a different beginning. You know, they all end with some eye-catching situation of some somebody at a moral crossroads or uh, a sinner, uh, or somebody falling into sin, or a sinner um, reconsidering their wicked ways, or two different people comparing lifestyles. But they all end the same way, which is a series of panels um, in which the, the, the gospel message is presented with, foot, with footnoted Bible verses, and then the person either accepts or doesn't the good word, and often they do not, 
and the book ends with them in hell with Satan laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, he had a great laugh. With W's after the ha. H-A-W. And this happens often enough in Chick Tracks that the theme really is not, we can do it. We can save humanity. It really is like, you have the good word. You need to witness so you're not culpable. Sure, most people are going to say no. But that doesn't matter. That will condemn them to hell, and that's also part of your job. But this is kind of a Calvinist doctrine, right? That you that um, that most people cannot be saved, and the 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 ones who are saved are predestined to be saved. So this these tracks are not trying to save every guy in a gas station. They're trying to communicate to the saved. There, um, there's a there's a lot of Schadenfreude in them, like. A lot of times you, you'll have one person who's saved and they they rise up to heaven as everyone else burns in hell, which is a a sort of revenge fantasy. Yeah, these, these visceral descriptions of hell uh, that are prevalent in our culture, we talked about this in the Hieronymus Boss show, they all come from, you know, Dante and, and similar explorations. The descriptions of hell in the Bible are are so vague as to be meaningless. There's no sea of fire. There's, it's mentioned that there's a lake of fire that burns forever, and that's about all you get. And so, but you don't get birds eating your entrails in the Bible. I haven't read the whole thing. It's really good. I don't want to give away the ending, but there's a horror. <laughs> you know, I read a I read parts, pieces, and parts. The good stories. But uh, I think the appeal of this kind of visceral description of a hell where, where uh, the wicked suffer really is schadenfreude for the for the good to imagine hey this has been hard and i had to make a lot of hard choices and maybe it wasn't as fun as my as my checkered youth but at least i've avoided that right and it's it's a very this idea that hey at least their blood's not on my hands if i leave 3 of these 17 cent pamphlets in phone booths today i've done my part that's very different from the latter day saint theology i grew up with which which was that the witnessing has to be effective oh really yeah maybe because of our Maybe because the legitimization of Mormon thought kind of came in the mid-20th century when the American business efficiency model was a thing. <laughs> like, So you're like, uh, you, you get a commission? We're, no, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give me the good leads. But we are still a church led by kind of older white men in business suits who use middle initials. It's like the IBM board in 1958. Right. And there's been a lot of a study of what kinds of religious messaging are likely to be effective. You know, what, what are the techniques that you can do? You know, like try to understand the beliefs of the person you're talking to. Find what common ground you have to build on. Find out what they need in their lives. Talk about how your religion has blessed you. Talk about the good feelings you get when you read certain passages. None of all these techniques are a hundred percent absent from these chick tracks. And in fact, the whole ethos of them is that uh, there is no chick track, for example, about kindness or gratitude, right? Or any of what you might think of as Christian virtues. They all have exactly the same message, which is: if you don't accept Jesus as your savior, Satan claims you and says, "Ha ha ha." Now, this is the thing that confused me as a kid because they were so focused on that one act, right? Accepting Jesus. And no other, you didn't have to be good. You didn't have to change your ways. You just had to fall to your knees and accept Jesus, at which point you were cleansed. And as a kid, I always felt like it didn't seem sufficient, right? You should also be changed and different for a while. It doesn't seem to match your lived experience, which is that 
that people do just immediately decide to be a different kind of person and then it's easy. I mean, can I spend 40 years as a raper and then convert on my deathbed and and sit at the at the shoulder of or sit at the hand of God? Where, where do you sit when you get up there? Shoulder? Hand? His, his right hand. His right hand. Not his left hand. Seems like his right hand would be like really full. <laughs> I mean, he's, got, he's waving his left hand around. You don't understand. There's a rotation. You you oh. get a shift. Oh, you get on the hand, and then you then and he's like, get off. It. You get five minutes, and then you're like, hey, it's uh, it's uh, Barney's turn. Is it? Does he leave his left hand open because that's the one that that's the unclean one? The left hand's not as good, and that's where the sinners wind. The sinners get judged and wind up on his left hand. Oh, gross. I assume briefly before they go somewhere else. Gross. Because the left hand is the poop hand. Well, not for God. I guess. We don't know much. The, the Bible is silent about the Bible doesn't like, even describe hell. Wipes. Yeah, <laughs> how do we know what God's doing on the potty? The idea of this instant conversion thing is something that naturally follows from the teachings of Paul in the New Testament. In Romans ten nine, we read, "If thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." Mm-hmm. So, a literal reading of the King James Bible will tell you. Hey, anybody who confesses Jesus is saved, and we have to reckon with the, the weird theology that is. Yeah. And, and, and backsliding and the possibility of deathbed confessions. Sure. It seems like it's not a lot to go on, and one there, sentence from Paul. And there are many— ch- Right. But that's how, that's how uh, biblical literalists work. Yeah. Like, this sentence says this thing— it must be true. It is right. not something to be considered in context with a wider message. No, Paul couldn't have been like three sheets to the wind when he said it. Right. The Bible is perfect. So how do we, you know, let's put this practice into our lives and then move on to Romans 10.10. I was reading a chick tract last night where uh, a plane is uh, a, a, a kind of a new Christian, a sinner who's gone straight, finds himself on a plane next to a couple that's coming back from their million dollar African orphanages. And he's just delighted to be with them and thinks about all the the um, the souls they must have saved. And they're like, well, we've done so many good works. And he's like, yes, but how many souls have you saved? And he says, no, 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 we're digging wells and building orphanages. And oh. so this, this new Christian has to read them the riot act and, sure. and give them a footnoted uh, New Testament look into how good works are meaningless. Oh, it's what makes new Christians on airplanes such a wonderful seatmate. Of course, the plane crashes. <laughs> yes. The uh, the couple that... Uh, God works in mysterious ways. The couple that helped millions out of poverty with their good works goes straight to hell. <laughs> good! And the new Christian who witnessed <laughs> goes to heaven. Kapow! So... Take that! We realize... I mean, this is a... This is a that's a straightforward Protestant view. Sure. That good works do not save us, that faith does. But... Uh, these books are very far out of the Christian – these pamphlets are very far out of the Christian mainstream, and I don't think that's something that I no- realized when I first read them. Did you read them and think, ah, the, these, tr- these tracks are coming from my tradition as a, as a Christian? I see these as Christian fellow travelers? So as a Mormon kid going to a, uh, a, a largely evangelical Protestant uh, for, Expatriate for, a, expat school in Korea – school – Oh. Like when we moved overseas, uh, the the decent private school for foreigners in Seoul, Korea was founded, I think, by Methodist missionaries in the 20s. So we had a gamut of kind of well-behaved Methodists and, Luth- Methodists and Lutherans, but also some kind of uh, very florid Baptists and Evangelicals and Pentecostals on the faculty. My second grade teacher um, would ask kids who would want to stay in for recess that day and and be saved by letting Jesus into their heart. Oh, dear. And, you know, as a young Mormon kid with a, a, more of a tradition of kind of well-behaved, measured religion and good works, 
I found this to be very gauche, and I did not want to miss recess. Right. And uh, and Mormons generally don't play well with evangelicals anyway. Right, and you know, they think recess is important in case you need to get in a wagon train and head out again. Yes, right? <laughs> Mormon re- recess is very important to my faith. <laughs> You're always like, be ready. You want to be in the fresh air in case God calls you to Salt Lake or or something. Well, I mean, the, you know, your school sounds kind of like the Air Force Academy. <laughs> I mean, was, was it a thing where where uh, Christianity was inescapable? What if I'd gone to it with my uh, with my free thinking? Uh, yes, you'd be you'd be in the suburbs now with your uh, four mega church kids, and you'd have a boat. Oh dear! See, you missed out. Oh, well. But it was it was a real lottery as to who you'd get as your Bible teacher. You know, it it, it could have been one of these uh, kind of unnuanced uh, Baptists type with a with a Bible to to bang. Did you have like acoustic guitar playing kumbaya Christians? Too? Yes, and then there were my fourth grade teacher was a my actually I've since I've tracked down my third grade teacher who is now some. Uh, liberation theology. I don't know if she's Catholic. I think she's Episcopalian, but she's a you know she's a, a some kind of feminist scholar. And my fourth grade teacher was a, essentially an eco terrorist. We were always hearing about the good work that the Rainbow Warrior was doing <laughs> at the North Pole. So it was a real grab bag, and the school didn't clamp down real tight on whether you got um, a conservative or a. Uh, or a liberal Christian. That's what happened to the Methodists over time, right? They got a little bit, they stopped being quite so strict. In high school, I first saw Chick Tracts, I think in uh, maybe 10th or 11th grade, my calculus teacher had a sheaf of them on the, or a box, a shoebox of them on the windowsill in the back of the classroom. And he was, uh, there's a certain kind of evangelical man that kind of jams my gaydar a bit. Like it's hard to tell if they're, if they're gentle and Christ-like, or if they are closeted and in a, a marriage and family of convenience uh, and have been just been trying to pray away the gay for decades. As someone who went to Jesuit school, I know exactly you're, what you're talking you're about. You're right on board with this, right? <laughs> so this guy was one of these kind of short, gentle, he's kind of a Jiminy Cricket of a guy. Uh, and it's still not clear to me whether he's just an exceedingly gentle, with a, with a kind of a Southern accent. And I still don't know if he was a uh, just a a gentle follower of the Lord, or right. if uh, maybe like my fifth grade teacher, at one point he left his family and, uh, and actually became came, a skateboarder. Came, <laughs> no, came out and is, you know, now living with a nice graphic designer uh, in, uh, you know, in Brooklyn somewhere. I, so, so, so I have no idea, but. So you've just touched on two things that I think people in my tradition consider kind of phenomenon. One of them is a very devout person who is also a scientist or mathematician, which to a secular audience is often often feels like a conflict. And we hear from scientists who say there's absolutely no conflict between being a you know a biologist or a, or a physicist and also a fa- a person of faith, and then. We also hear all the time from, from uh, you know, people, uh, who, queer people who end up leaving their church but retaining their faith mm. and starting, you know, a, a, like a queer church somewhere. Both of those things are... Which shows how meaningful it must be to you if your tradition has been telling you your whole life that these central things about yourself are wrong and don't matter and, and you don't matter and your identity is not an identity. Not just don't matter. But like are an abomination. One of the worst things. Yeah. John, do you know how many membership levels there are for folks who would like to support Omnibus financially on Patreon? 
Uh, um, between six and ten. Uh, close. There are five. Hmm. Do you want to let's run down the perks because oh, oh yeah, yeah yeah because because many people uh, donate to the show and enjoy some of these benefits. I'm curious about this. What are the perks? What the, are, do we start at the bottom and go up or the top and go down? They're cumulative. Oh yeah yeah. Start at the bottom. It's like twelve days of Christmas. Not the bottom, but you know, at the lobster person level of donation, you get probably one of the most meaningful medias benefits, which is an additional episode of the Omnibus every month. A great episode, by the way, one where we. Um, where we open viewer mail and are directed to either mistakes we've made or we are praised to the high heavens for our quality program. We call it the addenda, and uh, it's a, a series of sequels mm. to past shows. So if you, um, if you don't listen to the addenda, it's like you have just— um, you've just watched Grease, but you're going to miss out on Grease 2, which right. is probably an even better movie. I don't know. It's like you watched The Godfather 2 except rearranged— uh, into that ABC uh, television movie version of it where <laughs> it's chronological. chronological. Yes, it's exactly like that. Then if you double your donation, then you get... What, now, what are those people called? The they're s- not lobster persons. No, they're sentient aspen trees. Oh, not people at all. They get the bonus episode, but they also get the photo feed of images on the Patreon site. Which, which you're has, always wandering around here taking pictures. What, it, what are you doing? If people send us things, uh, the show notes you and I use... Um, this Geiger counter here. Pictures of us. Uh, just any kind of visual record of omnibus-related stuff. That seems like a cool thing. And what is that level, the uh, the, the sentient Aspen level? Financially, what is it? Yeah. They, those people uh, do, uh, donate $10 a month. $10 a month. Isn't that nice? That, that is. That's wonderful. But, that's... but they're getting, you know, you're getting 10 podcasts a month. You're paying a dollar per show. A dollar a show. I mean, if you think about how much it co- used to cost to go to the movies— one time, one time a month, it would it cost you at least that. Podcasts are a pretty good uh, bang for your buck when it comes to minutes of entertainment per cent. Right. Um, if you double your donation to the Robot Alien Explorer tier, you get the video feed, you get the bonus episode, but you also get a copy of a set of omnibus show notes um, personalized to you, signed you by about us. This, like this copy right here in front of me, this one that yes. I just wrote with my own hand. You just recorded that. You and I will sign that, and we're going to send it... To Sam or Rita or Meredith or somebody who listens to Omnibus. This would be 100% unintelligible. What makes it great is that it's written on uh, <laughs> letters that we've received from other listeners. So that's pretty great. I've had to start being careful as to what I use for the back of my... Oh, wow. Like the show we just recorded. It was recorded on the back of a transposed version of the Christmas Carol, Ilene la Divine Enfant, that Dylan... Um, had to transpose to play on the trumpet. Last I just I, I wrote uh, today's episode on the back of a letter that uh, where the person that wrote me the letter or wrote us the letter in uh, in his signature says that he is a member of the sentient aspen tree colony level of Patreon support. Wow, we are reseeding the earth. It's just like well, we, we should make crazy. sure he doesn't have his like credit card number on there. Or Recapitulating. Something. Well, it does all- have his- I'm always making sure I'm not using a bank statement now for writing. It has his email and his phone number. I mean, we could call him right now, actually, this person. At other ludicrously higher levels of donation, uh, at the next level for uh, washing bears, you get Uh, all those other benefits. The addenda episode, the photo feed, the show notes, but you also get to choose an omnibus topic. Yes, the washing bears. And we will- We've uh, been doing a lot of fan-chosen topics. Yeah, we don't screw around. We move those right to the top of the queue. Yep, that's cool. 
And a, a, an even more ridiculously high level of donation, we have the Omniversal Hypercrawl, who get all of the aforementioned benefits, the addendum episode, the photo feed, the autograph show notes, the show topic of their choice, the tote bag, the all of the above, but they also get... Challenge coin. The challenge coin. But they also get a, uh, a live uh, video chat with you and me. Now, we've yet to do one of these, but this is coming up this week, right? We're yeah, going to do our first video chat. We have one on the calendar with somebody who actually was an Omniversal... Hypercoral for the all all uh, all winter. Not not uh, not our only omniversal hypercoral, but the only one that has so far opted uh, for the video chat feature. I think the first one who's who's who was in for a sufficient length of time, right? That we were like, oh, we need to do this chat. How with exciting! You. Well, I can't wait. I hope that this person is not. Um, I hope that this omniversal hypercoral is not a super weird hypercoral because you know they can be weird. Uh, I'm sure it'll be amazingly awkward. Yeah. No. I mean, you and I are both like a little weird to start with. So introduce I, a third element. I don't enjoy teleconferencing, so no. I'm going to, but I'm going to put on a brave face. I, I was supposed to watch a movie the other day and I told a friend and the friend was like, why don't you zoom call me and we can watch it together. I was like, I would rather die. Then watch a movie with you over Zoom. Are these your friendly fire co-podcasters wanting no, to do this? No, no, no. Oh. Those guys, those those guys would never want to do that. They're as awkward as anybody. If you, uh, if any of these benefits sound seem to be of interest to you, and you enjoy Omnibus but have not yet become a Patreon supporter, why not treat yourself? Feel free to do so. It's not that uh, the the barrier to entry is pretty low. You can you can support Omnibus and. Um, at, at whatever level it is that that you're comfortable doing, the addenda episode comes at five dollars a month, roughly fifty cents a podcast. But presuming that you've listened to this show for a while, or that you listen to it frequently, um, or maybe you just started listening a week ago, but you've been binge consuming it and have listened to forty episodes in the in that time, you're probably going mad in quarantine uh, at this point. Think about uh, think about making a little contribution to the production of it because it. Uh, it helps us quite a bit. Thank you. Just speaking as someone who is just sort of part of this, like my religion, I guess, is that I read the newspaper and uh, you know that I <laughs> that I believe that the Earth revolves around the sun. You know, I'm, I I I know a lot of people who are like, how can you be an astrophysicist and a born again Christian? I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, there's no conflict. You know, science tells you how things happen, but you know, you need religion or spirituality to elucidate the why. Right. It's a bit of a cop-out, I think, because honestly, you do have to subordinate the one to the other. And I think astrophysicists, by definition, have decided to subordinate their understanding of religion to what the scientific method can teach them. Right. Like, if we now know that the earth does not go around, that the sun does not go around the earth, as the Bible was long understood to have said, they will immediately change all their religious theology to try to accommodate what they now know to be science. It seems like string theory is not really covered in, like Paul didn't, he seemed to be sort of silent on it. Yeah, in fairness, he's not against it. Right, okay, that's true. <laughs> he doesn't take a stand. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I assume a lot of these teachers would have been creationists of some type or another, but right. this guy was okay teaching us differential equations. Um, and he had a stack of these in the back of the room. And of course, this was 1990 or something, and we all loved... Batman and the X-Men, you know, we were all, we could all talk about comic books for we, days and days. We all. 
Well, sure. everybody in this calculus class. <laughs> are you pretending that you were not? I mean, are you pretending that when you were uh, 15 years old, you uh, had no idea what was uh, what was going on in Stan Lee's universe? I did not. Come on, I didn't. No, I didn't. I was reading National Lampoon. I was I was so far away from the from Wolverine at that was, point in my life. I was reading Spy Magazine and I was reading Daredevil. Oh, aren't you something? So we would go through these pamphlets, and I realized quickly that um, these were the kind of evangelical tract that Mormons find off-putting because, I mean, for one thing, they're very specific to call out who the enemies of the faith are. And Jack Chick had a very narrow idea of, of what a good—he doesn't even have a religion. He doesn't believe in a religion. He's a Bible-believing Christian. They are—they're super literal, like— like 100% literal, King right? James Version of the Bible only, and that means, you know, I'm going to interpret this one verse to say that uh, Dungeons and Dragons is wrong, and Harry Potter is wrong, and Halloween is wrong. Rock and, and roll is wrong. Exactly. The, the Beatles were just using druid music that came from Satan. I never thought about it that way. And in, in particular, the, what shocked me in these books was just the rabid anti-Catholicism. Yes. Uh, which... I didn't. I did not know much about the kind of the early 20th century nativism in America, whereby all the suspicious new people were Mediterraneans, right? And or, as a result, or Irish, right? Irish or Italian, and as a result, their brand of Christianity was frowned upon if you were a certain kind of papists, good American. Yeah, and we talked about this in the Father Coughlin episode a little bit. I mean, my mom grew up in uh, in Western Ohio where there was not a ton of ethnic diversity and the worst thing they could think of was a Catholic. You know, it was, there was so much anti-Catholic racism that they didn't even have room for anti-Semitism. That's nice. The Catholics were taking one for the team. They really, they did. You know, my mom had dated a Jewish guy in college and she would, she brought him back to her home in Van Wert, Ohio, and no one there knew he was Jewish, although it would have, would have appalled them uh, because it didn't even it didn't even occur to them that there were Jews in America. <laughs> there were, <laughs> it was, We've got bigger Catholic fish to it fry. It was war against the Catholics. We've got bigger fish to fry on Friday. Yeah. Uh, the anti-Catholicism nice. comes late to Chick's work, which I didn't know. Here's his. Here's a little high-level biography of the late Jack T. Chick. He uh, fought in World War II, came home from the Pacific. Thank you for your service. Moved back to his, and, and I guess just saw hellish stuff in Okinawa and New Guinea. Uh, so he's your typical kind of hard drinking, swearing Navy man of the of, uh, Navy Army man of the forties. If he uh, was there in Okinawa, he would have been a Marine or in the Navy. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. Uh, he came back to uh, I guess he had he done some theater before the war. He came back to the Pasadena Playhouse and married his girlfriend. He's from L.A. Uh, and on their honeymoon in 1948, he happened to have the radio on and he heard. The Charles Fuller Old Fashioned Revival Hour, one of these radio ministers, uh, invite listeners to come to Christ. And he felt that lightning bolt that you've talked about. He fell to his knees. Through the radio. Through the power. So whatever it is, it works over AM. It works over amplitude modification. The power of Christ compelled him. Through the electromagnetic spectrum. He fell to his knees and decided to become a new person and devote his life to Christ. And in this case, it's stuck. Now, this is 100% my question. If you are already listening to a revival show on AM radio, you are indicating 
that you are susceptible, right? It's not a thing that you you don't listen to a revival show just to hear the banjo. I'm imagining a scenario where they're maybe it's the only channel they can get oh, on I the see. car, right, right, or right. they're flipping through the station. I was once. Have I told this story? I was in rural uh, Idaho or Nevada somewhere, and all I could get on the radio dial was a series of um, Bible thumping reverends. I've been on. I've been on those roads, and I finally <laughs> found one station that was playing. Um, Imagine by John Lennon. I was like, thank goodness there's still a rock station. And I listened to it for about five seconds and then it fades down and say, and you hear the preacher come on and say, do you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? <laughs> we used to have a gag on tour uh, where we would imitate Northern Nevada conservative radio because, uh, because they're, NCR. they're just so, they're so hilarious up there. Uh, Fire and brimstone. So he becomes a church going man. And, uh, he talks to a missionary. At some point, he talks to a missionary friend named Hammond, who uh, who is very convinced as to how you should spread the word. Hammond has a theory that the Chinese, the communist Chinese, saw American comic books at some point. Here we go. It's called the secret weapon theory. Is what Jack T. Chick often he saw. You know, American kids would read comics with names like Scream or Evil. You know, all these terrible things, but they would just love it. They couldn't get enough of it because something about the comic form would apparently put over propaganda. And Mao saw this and used comics in this guy's retelling to turn uh, a billion Chinese to, to agrarian communism wow. in the early 20th century. He used comics? Yeah. Mao? I don't know if... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what common turn is short for. It's short for comic <laughs> interns. <laughs> it's the inkers and stuff who draw your comics. How did we not... Yeah, I've never heard this outside of this uh, Jack see, T. Chick okay. theory. But in this missionary, you know, this missionary must have seen some kind of children's propaganda that used words and pictures and thought, ah, the comic book, that's how they do it. There is, there is great socialist realist art, and it is kind of comic booky. Those great Soviet murals are kind of comic booky. Well, and those Ma- the ones where Mao is leading all the happy villagers out of the, out of the rice field to go, I don't know, sing and dance, whatever, whatever that was about. Uh, it's all in that socialist realist style where it's like, hey, it's flat. So Hammond's theory is that, or I guess maybe Jack T. Chick's epiphany was that this is what Christianity should have as well, that you could convert a generation to Christ if you had sufficiently fun comic books. And they could be lurid, like the, like the Scream and Evil EC horror comics that, uh, that were inspiring mid-20th century communism, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, that seems extremely cynical. Uh, I wonder if it accords with his... You know, he was not a well-behaved Christian. He had fallings out with just about every church organization he ever worked with. All the Christian bookstores and distributors had dropped him by the 80s uh, because he believed, you know, he because he was a swear-and-drinking army man right. who thought you should just, you should tell it like it is. And so I think when you look at his, the stories in his comics where you see people in the depths of sin and... It's very unapologetic about what's going on in the backseat of that station wagon. Looks pretty hot, actually. Or you know, or what that exactly what that guy is going to get into at the at the music with, of the with, with the concert. Sa- yeah at the rock <laughs> concert. There's always long-haired hippies with their and there's there's explicit Satanism. All these groups in the suburbs want to just uh, take your daughter's blood and sacrifice it to the goat god Baphomet or whatever. Like it's more than you would think. Which also was kind of a mainstream belief in the 80s. Yeah. That secret Satanists were practicing it at, uh, we should do the daycare. Daycare. We should do the daycare hysteria for an omnibus because this was not, that was not an out there belief. But I think he, he was okay with those, 
really frank depictions of sin because it made uh, Daniel Rayburn, the comic critic, has compared these to Tio, Tijuana Bibles or Tijuana Bibles, Tijuana Bibles <laughs> because you know they they're often in this very kind of naive. Jack Chick drew the comics himself for a long time in a very kind of naive, scratchy style that has kind of a, it has the pleasant look of the less skilled or mad magazine. Yeah, that's right. Cartoonists. It, it, it does seem like a mad uh, strip. And. Well, it, it looks like Dave Berg's The Lighter Side. Yeah, like an, a less skilled Dave Berg, like somebody in his in his attic drawing Dave Berg's Civil War crazy stuff. <laughs> right. Um, and the, uh, and so there's always this like really lurid, almost pornographic viscerality to it. You know, we focus a lot on the tortures of, of the dam. We focus a lot on the, the bloody, the bloody battered Christ, you know, often very graphic mutilated Christ is de- depicted. Right. Um, and he even points out that these pamphlets often come with a money shot. They often end with, you know, gulp and sob and gasp and sound effects like that. And then an outpouring of salty liquid, in this case, tears as the sinner represents, as the sinner accepts God and, and renounces Satan. So there is some kind of a, you know, what? presumably this is what? an audience that doesn't. <laughs> don't, don't say that. It's an audience that does not enjoy pornography, but you get the same kind of an arc. I see through through and the same kind of visceral lower brain kind of thrill through these kind of stories. Yeah, right. Um, but he he couldn't get anybody to bankroll this. He he had uh, he had this idea to make a, a pamphlet for prison inmates in the mid to late fifties, and he couldn't get anybody to. To do it, and finally, his old boss at the aerospace company, where he'd been doing technical drawings, uh, found Jesus and agreed to to bankroll his efforts. I, I knew there was an Air Force Academy connection. So exactly, you're you're 100 right. I don't understand what it is about pilots and Jesus. They're closer to Jesus than we are. That's right. They get up and they get hit with those sunbeams all the time. The Navy is like you know what 30,000 feet further from Jesus <laughs> than flying, the Air Force is. They're flying under the clouds. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so he sends. He makes his first pamphlet. This was this was your life. Is his first uh, uh, mass market pamphlet, and this is a p- probably his most well known work. There are tens and millions of copies of this is your life, which I have here somewhere. It might be the first one I saw. I, I remember it. Uh, the problem with somebody completely. sending me 140 chick tracts. I uh, spent a good part of yesterday afternoon alphabetizing my chick tracts. Boy, there's no more Ken Jennings sentence was ever spake. This was your life is a, you know, this is a successful man holding a snifter of something with his pinky out, his pipe in his mouth. He's got a nice LA house with a tile roof and a sports car and a giant 18 inch TV screen. I want to be this guy. He's drawn in kind of a- 18 inches. This must have been redrawn because he's got a, he's got a turtleneck. No, he already, he always had a turtleneck. Is this the, is this a pamphlet newer than I think? Because this has got to be- Turtlenecks symbolized like uh, pretentious intellectuals all the way back in the fifties. Okay, well, this then this could be beatniks. Anyway, he he's he thinks he's doing great, and you know he it's accompanied by Bible verses like uh, "Eat, drink, and be merry." But then, of course, the Grim Reaper comes uh, at his funeral. We hear that he was a good man, but in fact, his soul rises from the grave. An angel takes him to heaven, where. Uh, the, besides Satan, besides a kind of a stubbled laughing Satan, the other figure that's in a lot of these chick comics is a, a Lord, uh, you know, uh, Christ on his throne with a featureless face. Yeah, no face. And also those angels seem really stern. Like if an angel comes and picks you out of your coffin, that seems like a good sign, right? 
Like, you didn't fall immediately. There's an angel there. Well, he, this guy thinks he's fine. He's lived a good life. The angels have come. Uh, and in, in all these, in all these uh, comics, um, well-meaning people are punctured because it turns out that all of their good intentions and works mean nothing because they didn't uh, let Christ into their heart. And you see him gasping as the angel unspools stories of him telling dirty jokes as a teen. Oh, that's right. Um, leering, at, uh, leering at women. <laughs> There's a funny thing where it lists a series of sins, and it, it, it's my favorite thing. It um, varies between singular nouns, plural nouns, and adjectives. So it's like theft, false accuser, unmerciful, <laughs> pride, disobedient to parents. I love this. <laughs> and he's lost, and he realizes he should have been a Christian, but now it's too late, and he gets sent down into a lake of fire. So he's there on his knees in front of Dr. Manhattan. It is. Yeah, it's a very UFO god. And he's not, but but it's too late. You can't repent after you cross through the, after you slip the bonds. Right. Uh, comics like this become a, this is the, the Ur comic, and he goes on to draw hundreds of others. Right. Um, because the first one was a success. Uh, there's a huge audience. Christian bookstores love him at first. It's easy to distribute these. He's selling them for less than a dime each at this point. And it really does strike a chord with people who feel like they should be witnessing more, but like him, they find it uncomfortable in mid 20th century America. I thought that those people all got a megaphone and stood outside of a train station. <laughs> there's still a couple of those. You think there's a lot of those because they're really annoying. Yes. But one of those guys goes a long way. <laughs> For every one of him, there's 70 people just leaving these in, in phone booths and rental cars. So did anyone try and, and, uh, and, and get any statistics about how many souls were saved by Jack Chick? It's impossible. It's all eternal. There's a book of life, but only the faceless Dr. Manhattan God has it. Um, he, he thinks his ministry is a huge success and by the number of Christians buying them, you know, that's the only metric he has. Right. It is working. He's able to start up a, a comic book in 1974 called the Crusaders, which has more of a conventional, uh, evil fighting narrative. Um, Jack and Tim Carter, the initials are JTC, which is the Jack T. Chick initials that are on every one of his pamphlets, um, go up against various, um, you know, multifarious tools of evil. And as the 70s progress into the 80s, that's when Chick becomes convinced that there is a much vaster evil machinery than he had ever noticed. He gets it's not just Mao. He gets really into conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, and this is when he runs across the work of Alberto Rivera, an ex-Jesuit from the Canary Islands in Spain, who is willing to spill the beans about all the awful stuff that the Catholic Church has oh. been doing. They've been... Uh, you know, they, he was part of a Jesuit task force that would be assigned to Protestant communities to seduce all their um, young, pretty guitar-playing Sunday school teachers right. and lead them into Catholic depravity. No he, one expects Catholic depravity. He confesses to the fact that the Catholic Church has been behind everything from the, Catholic, the California gold rush, that's where they got all their money, to, huh. the, to the Kennedy assassination. Really? There's a, there's a chick pamphlet in which um, Thoreau... The, the Catholic churches. He often calls it the whore of Babylon, Satan's masterpiece. He falls into this world where the Catholics are at the center of a conspiracy theory that lead to everything from Islam to communism, to Hitler, uh, to Freemasonry. The Illuminati are controlling the whole thing. Um, pretty much everything in modern life from Halloween to Dungeons and Dragons uh, is a Catholic conspiracy what to bring down Bible-believing Christians. Yeah, the Jews are kind of a, in a tricky gray area in Chick's work. 
Um, they've obviously been fooled and led astray by the the big computer in the Vatican that's that exists to fool good people of all. And and they but they will you know and we should show a lot of friendship to our Jewish friends because it's the Catholics have been the ones I see pushing the anti-Semitism, but also we do patronizingly assume they will all accept Jesus at some point. Yeah, of course. Um, so because they're waiting for the return. Yeah, they, uh, you know they're just wrong in one respect. Yeah. They're right, but uh, in the wrong time frame. Sure. Alberto Rivera turns out to be a fraud. He's debunked by a variety of Christian publications. Cornerstone and Christianity Today both run exposés about how he was never in any of the places he said. His sister that he claimed to be a nun actually is like you know was a horror of Babylon. <laughs> yeah, a nun, a murdered nun. She's actually alive and well and living in Madrid or something. Um, so it, it turns out that Jack T. Chick has been fed a bill of goods by this con man um, who was never an ex-Jesuit at all. Uh, and this is when the Christian establishment starts to kick chick tracts out of their foyers and bookstores. Um, so at the time in the early late 80s, early 90s, when I first saw these, these were no longer mainstream Christian thought. And my, my high, elementary and high school had plenty of Roman Catholic teachers who when I mentioned this to them, we're appalled that there was a stack of these in the math teacher's right. classroom. But we're not we're appalled but unsurprised because they had also heard the administration making casual anti-Catholic slurs and jokes. I wrote, I put an anonymous thing in the school. You and I are school newspaper people. I, yes. I put a blind item in the school paper about anti-Catholic sentiment at, at my expat school. As a... As a, a uh... As an indictment of it, or were you just writing a, uh, a, like yeah, no, a neutral, a neutral uh, like both sides piece? No, I, write a, I wrote a neutral gossip column mo- modeled on <laughs> the editorial voice of Spy Magazine that uh, got, almost got me kicked off the paper, and it made one return for the last issue right before I was graduating, because I figured they would not withhold my diploma. And they didn't. Yay. Um, Newspaper so, is the best. So for the y- Yearbook sucks. I was your book editor too. Don't, oh! don't make me choose, John. <laughs> Go to mad.com slash yearbook. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so for the last 40 years, Chick Tracks have never been doing better, despite the fact that the whole Christian establishment has turned their back on them and and Chick on them. He he has seen all these organizations from Falwell on down as as horribly corrupt perverters of Christ's gospel. And really believes that you can have a personal and unmediated relationship with Christ. You don't need any inter- intercession of any establishment. And in fact, as soon as someone else gets involved, it it um, right. it it impurifies it. And yet, he is the intercessor. But his is, his are all footnoted. If the Bible's perfect, then it's true. Any sermon could go wrong. And I think that's one reason why all his pamphlets are scrupulously footnoted. And hilariously, I've been reading a ton of them. Oh, here's one that has Beetlejuice at Satan's uh, right hand. Hmm, uh, sure, that's, that's new theology to me. He has a lot of anti, uh, kind of cryptically anti-Halloween ones. These are very popular things to give to trick-or-treaters. Trick right. Ugh, the worst. So they all have... <laughs> worse, the worst than, house. worse than sitting next to one on an So airplane. they all have to concede that Halloween exists because it's a big market for them. But they all have to ha- take place in a suburb where a lot of people are using Halloween to experiment with um, haunted houses and Ouija boards and, other, and other untoward... Um, yeah, uh, entry-level Satanism. F- foot in the door Satanism, we call it. Right. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, so they all take place in a world where um, the theological message is footnoted, but also 
Um, there are footnotes appear to other Chick tracts. Like at one point, I'm reading one from his uh, Black Tract series, which I'll get to in a second, in which a uh, uh, African American man gets out of prison and his his church going granny is shocked to find that he's Muslim now, and she has to set him right. And a lot of these have theological arguments. There's one in which Mormon missionaries get shouted down. Um, Are they depicted wearing short sleeve button down shirts with oh, yeah. pens in the pocket? It's all very accurate, and they and they're way out of their depth as soon as they come across a a chick tract reader who knows all the secret um, scandalous truths of of Mormonism. Right. Uh, uh, but there's a black exploitation uh, vein of these. I never saw. Those. Okay, let me let me jump back to this, and then we'll get back to the black tracts. Uh, if you've ever looked at Chick Tracks closely, you know that in addition to Chick's very naive, goofy style, some of them are incredibly beautifully well-rendered. Yeah, what is th- what's going on with that? By an artist who can seemingly master any style. This was a man who was unnamed at, by his own choice and uncredited for decades until in the early 80s, the Comics Journal, of all places, the Seattle-based alt-comics, fantagraphics... Fantastic. ...rag... Uh, D- did a uh, a kind of a complimentary piece on Chick Tracks' outsider art, and uh, Cat Ironwood struck up a correspondence with Jack Chick, and he named the second good artist. It was it was almost like a Carl Bark situation, yeah. where the fans knew, hey, one of these guys is really good, uh, and outed him as uh, Fred Carter, uh, a minister with almost no art training, dropped out after a year of art school, and credits the fact that he has this, and you know was and was hired by. Chick immediately, once he said he'd been to art school for a year, uh, African-American minister who found out that he was just a savant and could draw anything. Wow. Credits it all to the Lord, who, who's guiding his guiding his hand on the Bristol board. Of course. Uh, and has this amazing style that's kind of reminiscent of, for a long time, all these uh, comics fans thought it was one of the Filipino artists that drew DC horror comics in the 70s. Show me one. That's Lil Susie. That weird spelling of Susie. Here, let me let me show you. Uh, so the, some of this looks like uh, these are weird keen paintings. A very, yeah, so big eyes, but a very ornate. This is late period Fred. Whoa, no, these are so weird and child molesty. But the guy, the guy can draw in any style. Okay, look at look at this kind of stipple work in the letter. Those are just beautiful. It looks like lithography. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's better than a Wall Street Journal profile. And this is just a this is just a, a naive artist, just they, a just a self taught, self taught uh, Christian guy. Wow! So, so this is my favorite. Um, this is his tract high there, where a a construction worker takes does not take religion seriously, and then dies on the job and has kind of the typical I know that one ha 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 experience. They're just gorgeous. Look that's, at the stipple work. That's incredible. So this is kind of, the high there is kind of the definitive Fred Carter style, which is more of a Gustave Doré woodcut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, kind right, of right. a thing. And then in the there's a series of black tracks in which Jack Chick wanted to take advantage of Carter's knowledge of African American vernacular to redraw these for a black audience. So here is high there. It's in which in this version a black construction worker is carried off to the Grim Reaper. It's panel for panel the same, except that all the characters are black, and it's called instead of "Hi there, what's up?" <laughs> this this one panel in uh, "Hi there," where two construction workers, big like jowly guys, 
One of them says, they keep yelling this Jesus garbage. Those idiots say, hey man, the only way to heaven is through my church or my denomination. What a crock. In fairness, he does give the anti-religious people... Over and over. Well, he, he gives them, uh, you, you know, typical and well-thought-out views. Right, right. Uh, and I think that picture was used in a rock poster by a band that, uh, that I admired many decades ago. Oh, wow, what's up? And that's, look at that late period Fred Carter style where it's still got this beautifully clean line work. He's, it's, it's, not oh, the, yeah. it's not the scratchy Filipino horror artist thing anymore, but also a bunch of kind There's of- There's shading. A, a, lot yeah. of, a lot more shading in this than less stipple. Somebody's done some grayscale tint on it. Maybe, oh. maybe Carter himself. Oh, did you notice this? That, that in What's Up, the guy eating a, a fried chicken leg is the same in both. Look, here he is here. He's eating a fried chicken. And then here he is here. Same guy, same fried chicken. I almost think you should swap out the fried chicken in the black tract version. Am I am I too woke? Well, I don't. You know, in the in the in the 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 what's up one. Uh, well, wait, it's the same. the The words are the same. Nuts. We came from monkeys. Yeah. No dialogue changes. No no actual African American slang has been added. Oh, what's up and hi there are the same. Except they've been redrawn with black characters. Oh wow. Hey, funky. Because clearly, a, uh, an African American reader would not understand hi there. You have to call it what's, what's up. What's up? And then they'll they'll what's pick up? it up from the rental car. Anyway, Fred Carter has never given an interview. Oh, my God. The Grim Reaper says, what's up? Oh, instead of hi there. So, we have an appointment, Charlie Connors. So one line has changed. What's up? <laughs> anyway, so in, in one of the black tracks I'm reading where um, this new Muslim convert is trying to explain his religion to his grandma and she's shouting down that it's not Bible truth. Right. Um at one point, she says, "You worship." He says he worships Allah, and that's all gods are the same. And she's like, "No, Allah is a moon god." And then it cross references some other chick tract, which has apparently made the made the case that Allah is derived from some other Arabian pagan god, <laughs> a moon god. So he's he's um, footnoting himself, and many of the tracts take place in a universe where chick tracts exist. Oh. I think maybe the letter. Did I toss you the letter? So, one, so chick tracks are within chick tracks. Yeah, so the good characters in the later ones are now, I, I think it might be that one. Does that one begin with somebody reading a It's chick a tracks chick track all the way not? down. Yeah, he says, um, like the, excuse me, ma'am, I'd like to give you a little book to read. So all the good characters now have chick tracks. But he looks exactly like Mitt Romney. <laughs> I don't think Mitt Romney is giving out <laughs> chick tracks. Uh, so yeah, they all take place in this very... They'll take place in this very kind of unusual world uh, where one of God's enemies gets shut down. Uh, Fred Carter's never given an interview, although the Comics Journal did track him down once at home, and he was very polite, and then they felt bad and got off the phone with him. Um, but he's a, he's a genuine artistic genius of some kind. Chick was just as reclusive. He uh, never gave an interview after 1975. You know, he built up this massive uh, empire, 10,000-square-foot warehouse in Rancho Cucamonga, um, where he would you know, to print and distribute hundreds and millions of these little black rectangles. Oh, uh, that's not farmed out. They're not being printed uh, copyright free in places all around the world. That's a good question. I wonder if it did move to China at some point. I think they all still say printed in USA. You know, a lot of his, he, he's, he's fairly apolitical. He never had anything to say about where Obama was born. And, but his point of view is always that all political parties have been corrupted by this Catholic Islamo communist axis. Um, but he is, but he does, he does have a lot of policies or a lot of beliefs in common with the, um, 
xenophobia of the alt-right in particular. When I was young, the, you know, the back page of all Chick Tracks are a big blank square where, uh, where you could stamp information about your local church. And it says mm-hmm. compliments of, and then there's a space for you to kind of rubber stamp information. And I remember the early Chick Tracks I saw all were coming from a local church. There was always a stamp on the back that said, you know, some, some Baptist church in Muldoon. But I don't see them with those anymore. No. It seems like nowadays, it's lazy millennials. They won't even stamp their church on their Chick Tracks. Uh, Chick died in 2016, but Fred Carter is still alive and drawing the pamphlets. Uh, oh, Ch- Fred Carter took over. His well, Chick's co-writer, David Daniels, who would, who would co-write the uh, pamphlets with him for the, the last decades of his life, um, Daniels and Carter continue to run the uh, Enterprise. And uh, Chick has possibly has been called, and it's possibly true, the most widely read theologian in human history, just wow. by virtue of the volume of these that are. You know, it's going to be a whole layer of the Earth's crust that futurelings will one day dig up. How many Bibles are in circulation? The Bible's the best-selling book in human history. A hundred million Bibles are printed every year. Every year. So, so there probably are more Bibles out there than Chick tracks, and also the Bible had a had a five hundred year head start. Sure. Uh, if is you know if you start with Gutenberg, but he's he is not he's not writing uh, books of faith. He's he's an interpreter. He's a he's a minister. Yes, and that's I think that's why he never gave an interview. He does not want to be uh, any kind of intercessory figure. By all accounts, he was a a jovial bald man who looked like Slim Pickens, but he did not want to be the story. His name appears nowhere on the pamphlets. It just says JTC, and then on the back. Chick publications. Uh, and I mean, this is the most confusing aspect, I think, for, for, uh, and I don't mean to speak for all secularists. No, you should. But the idea they're that, not getting a voice from me, that's for damn sure. The idea that Jack T. Chick could live next door to you and you would find him a delightful neighbor, a good, like, barbecuing pal that that leans over the fence and talks to you and every once in a while says something a little weird about about Jesus and you kind of direct the conversation elsewhere but that sort of neighborliness and just the fact that you could you could you could be somebody that loves Jack. Jack. I mean that's a weird tension in I think all religious people to one degree or another is that most religions believe the building is on fire. Right. And that they have an urgent responsibility to get people out. And to what degree you choose to be well-mannered about that, you know, do you pretend the fire is not happening? Do you pretend uh, maybe some parts of the fire are good? Like almost any sincere religious person at some point is going to have to be eccentric or impolite in some way because they believe the stakes are very high. It's what makes going home for Christmas for someone who's fallen out off, fallen out of the faith so difficult because their mother is there and loves them but also believes they're going to hell. I mean, just from a tactical point of view, like I'm lucky enough to come from a tradition that does not uh, have much of a culture of shunning and to the degree that it did much less than it would have 20 or 50 years ago. Just the idea that it's counterproductive, like that, you're, you're, you know, like if you're a, if you're a weirdo to your neighbors and a dick to your wayward kids, that doesn't actually do anyone any good. You know, it's more effective to show the Christian virtues, but that's all, 
That's all just rounding error to Jack Chick. But it, within Mormonism, can you baptize someone who is who was not baptized in life? Can you baptize them retroactively? Yes. Uh, so there's still hope for me. There's theological the theological uniqueness of uh, Mormonism. One of one of them is that uh, people can be saved after death. You know, in Jack Chick's comics, you you die and immediately the Grim Reaper uh, tells you you're not in the Book of Life and you're done. But um, uh, no, there's a more grace period for so, Mormons. So you, you can file an extension. So you can sit across from me and not be convinced that I'm going to burn in a lake of fire. That makes our relationship a lot easier. And that concludes Chick Tracks, entry 214.RO0116. Certificate number... 31387 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, it is a surefire route to the lake of fire. In fact, it may be the closest analog to a lake of fire on earth. Maybe uh, the hell predicted in the Bible is just a virtual one. Right. In which in, it's a cyber hell in which social media users find themselves every day of their lives. Every time I log on to Twitter, the Grim Reaper is there saying, What's up? Maybe Jeremiah or whoever, John the John the Apostle had a vision of the fire emoji. <laughs> and the poop emoji, both things and waiting did, for you. And he did not think this is going to be lit. He thought, look out. Well, anyway, uh, if you are a sinner, if you are listen to, listening to Druid music, why not go to at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, and at Omnibus Project? We're all sinners, John. As we fiddle while Rome burns. Um, I'm also on Instagram, fiddling away, at John Roderick. And you can email us, which is a popular form of written electronic communication in our day, with your own cranky religious beliefs. You can contradict us. You can yell at us. Only Ken will read it. And he will surely be swayed by your argument at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. That's an interesting thing about these chick tracks is it's never clear why anyone should be swayed. They, oh. they will appeal to the Bible. Oh, right. But nobody will ever say, and here's why you should believe the Bible instead of other holy books. Number one most confusing thing is when you say, well, why? And they quote the Bible. And it just feels like, well, I'm not, I don't believe the Bible. So why would, and then they quote the Bible. Not to toot my own horn too much. As oh, because you've mi- you've been a missionary. Sure, and yeah. uh, and uh, Mormon missionaries are taught to be much more practical about it, and just to say, you know, if somebody says why, you, you're just supposed to say, well, I've tried this in my own life, and it made me a lot happier. You're right. supposed to talk about the good feelings and effects you've had from religious principles, um, and that is very, very far from the Jack Chick aesthetic. When you were a, mi- uh, a missionary in Spain, did you? have authority to promise Spanish uh, potential converts 40 acres and a mule in in southern Idaho <laughs> if they converted? Was that still a deal? <laughs> yeah, we don't have that anymore. Could you, could, 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 did you say, move to Malad City and farm soybeans? No, the idea that um, we were uh, uh, an American religion popping up to steal your daughters was really one of the hardest things about yeah. about trying to be a, a, a doing Mormon proselytizing in Europe then, as I'm sure... Now and the church has done a lot of work to try to localize congregations to make sure that not everybody thinks they should move to Utah and go to Brigham Young University. You right, know, like right. that that really you can build communities of faith everywhere, and that's how 
Zion will be built, not in the Wasatch Mountains of Utah. <laughs> uh, you can uh, you can discuss this episode on the uh, Futurelings Facebook page and uh, at the Futurelings group on Reddit and on Discord. Someone asked me today to provide the Discord login information, and I cannot. Uh, but if the because it's Fnord, <laughs> because what I'm sorry, what? are you a Discordian? Um, and you can go there, and surely this episode will be discussed at length, exhaustively by the Futurelings, who are fun and funny. They tend not to mind the religious content; like they're as fascinated by it as we are. There's always, you know, uh, there are always a couple of people that are just angry. Uh, it's you know, religion is very triggering for people that grew up in religion and got out. And then also triggering for like died in the wool forever alone atheists who are just mad all the time. Um, for those of us who are just confident secularists, it's just more literature, right? Uh, you can mail us your own religious tracks and your outsider art. We would prefer the latter to P.O. Box five five seven four four. Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And if you are looking for somewhere to tithe, but do not want to tithe to organized religion. If the spaghetti monster does not take your shekels, I don't know if that's true or not. Please tithe to patreon.com slash omnibus project, and we will take that tithe and use it to spread the good word of our post-apocalyptic program. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived before the rapture arrived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. We're, we're not those religious types that are trying to bring it about. No. We're not eager for war in the Middle East. No, and we don't believe that, uh, that, this, uh, that this recent uh, pandemic is a sign of the apocalypse. Maybe one of the very early ones. Yeah, like a plague of yeah, like, spiders. Like there's still a lot of seals left to open, even if this is a seal. Sure, sure, sure. No blood wave yet. If the worst comes soon, however, this recording, like all the recordings you've heard in this series, may be our final word. But if providence allows, if faceless Dr. Manhattan uh, Lord on his throne allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>